Hey, women's hockey fans, Erica Lindsay Ayala here, and you are listening to the Founding Four podcast. The Founding Four podcast is a women's hockey podcast. We are named after the first four teams, the founding four teams of the National Women's Hockey League, but we talk NCAA, PWHPA, uh, international competition, and everything in between. But the next several episodes, you will be hearing a lot about the NWHL or hashtag NDouble. And that is because as of the day that this episode goes up, we are one week away from the NWHL single site season happening in Lake Placid, New York. And I am letting longtime listeners of the Founding Four podcast audio edition know that yes, I will be a part of the broadcast team. So stay tuned for this episode with Ann Tokarski. And there's a part two to my conversation with Ann Tokarski. And I will let you know a little bit more of my plans for the N-Double. What I have done is I've rallied some of the NWHL and women's hockey troops, and they will be joining me to give their version of an NWHL 101. We have some other journalists and players even who are also going to give a specific 101 about one of the six NWHL teams. So you're not going to want to miss that. But in this episode with Ann Tokarski, in part one, you'll hear her NWHL 101 in two minutes or less. And we will also talk about the Isabel Cup handles. The Isabel Cup, for those who may not know, is the trophy. It's the championship trophy for the NWHL. And there's a little bit of controversy swirling around in that Isabel Cup. So Anne gives us that. We also get into the new governance model of the NWHL and Ty Taminia as the new interim commissioner and lots of other good stuff in part one. In part two, Anne is going to get you ready for the N-double storylines, players to watch, and she gives us her semifinals predictions. And I think some of you may be a little bit surprised. One of the founding four teams uh, holds pretty high favor with Ann Tokarski. So without further ado, again, here is part one of my conversation about NWHL 101 with Ann Tokarski. All right, I am with Ann Tokarski here, and we are going to do a very special episode of the Founding Four podcast. Ann and Anya actually will be joining us. Um, but the first task, Ann, that we have for you is going to be uh, because I'm calling you the resident expert of the NWHL. I hope you're okay with that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> We're rolling with it. So I, I figured you, between you and Anya, and I'll sprinkle in a little bit here and there, I think we got it covered. Uh, so your first task in this challenge that has arbitrary, artificially created points as determined by me <laughs> is to give an overview for new fans of the NWHL. You're going to give them an overview in two minutes or less, and I'm going to time you right here on the clock. Are you ready, Anne? I'm ready. Okay. So, cause again, you're the resident expert because for the ice garden, you've already done this. So I was like, she's not new. She's true. NWHL 101, two minutes or less, starting now. The National Women's Hockey League, or NWHL, is comprised of six teams throughout North America. The Buffalo Buttes, 
the Boston Pride, the Connecticut Whale, the Metropolitan Riveters, the Minnesota Whitecaps, and the new expansion team, the Toronto Six. Um, every year so far since the 2015-2016 season, these teams, well, for the record, two of these teams are expansion teams, but the first four teams that I mentioned have competed for the past several years in a regular season where they just compete with the end goal of winning the Isabel Cup. The Isabel Cup is named for Lord Stanley of NHL fame. Um, his daughter, Lady Isabel, was a hockey player in Canada and the cup is named for her. So each team so far throughout the history of the NWHL, every team has won an Isabel Cup except for the founding four team, one of the founding four teams, the Connecticut Whale, and the league's newest expansion team, the Toronto Six. And yeah, I'm just really looking forward to this upcoming season where all six teams will be competing in a controlled environment in Lake Placid, New York. And I think everyone should tune in. Oh, nailed it. Look at that. Time to spare. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Crushed it. Crushed it. All right. So as I told you, this is a completely made up game by me. And but I also timed Anya. I haven't shown you that. And obviously Anya will not see this. But how do you like your odds? Oh, I'm not I'm not too optimistic. I think I fumbled a little bit, but you know, it is what it is. I th I think I got the most important points down. I think you crushed it. I think you crushed it. I'm going to let you know, since I was I was on there for both, Anya did not mention why the Isabel Cup is named the Isabel Cup. Oh. So. Oh, oh. So that hair flip, there you go. <laughs> but also, neither one of you hit on that there is the original Isabel Cup and the beautiful picture. I was there in New Jersey as it came out of, you know, uh, its display case for the first time. Um, but the original, of course, design had handles. Yes, and... yes, I was thinking about that. <laughs> All right, let's get into a little bit of the handles. So the Isabel Cup originally had two beautiful handles, and it hasn't had those handles for quite some time. So, Anne, what do you know about the handles? What should uh, new fans know about the Izzy Cup and the handles? Well, you mentioned Anya. I don't know if I'm the right person to talk about this, considering <laughs> she had a hand in dehandling the cup. But from what, from the lore that I've um, understood and heard, is one of the cup handles Anya broke off, and then because the Isabel Cup couldn't just have one handle, that would look a little, it would make it a little lopsided. She tore off the other one just to make things look symmetrical but that's just that's just what I've heard I mean none of that that could be completely non-factual that is just what I've heard I've told Anya this before we need we need the true story mm -hmm. somebody knows the true story I mean between Anya Michelle J the Boston Pride the Buffalo Buttes of course those were the first two um Isabel Cup winning teams we have to figure out what happened with those someone, someone there knows something that the rest of us don't someone knows something including although the handles are no longer they're not like reattached to the cup like where are they actually now yeah that's a really good point I didn't think of that like 
they have to be somewhere like someone's holding on to them someone has them if Anya says she broke one of them does she have one you know like is it kind of like I interviewed <laughs> Rebecca Russo once and she got the hard half out of after a Riveters game and she said she just wanted to break it into pieces like went full mean girls on us Talk to me about that hat you got on there. Yeah, the hat, it's it's kind of stylish, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? See, it says uh, Riveter of the Game. Is that what's up with that? Yeah, so um, our team hands out um, a puck of the game and this hat of the game. And um, Rebecca Morris had it last game uh, up in Buffalo. And she uh, gave it to me today. Um, so I was pretty happy with that. But, I mean, I could, you know, if you could rip this hat and into pieces, I'd give it to every one of us today because we fought so hard today for Did that you win. really just pull a mean girl? It's just plastic. It's really just... <laughs> Share it. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yeah, I definitely did pull a mean girls, but I mean, it was, it's uh, definitely a piece of the hat for everyone today. Like, is that what, what it is? Like, does every champion just get a chip from the handles to keep? I, I want to know. I want to know all the things. Me too, honestly. I really want to know too. All right. You got me so, thinking. I know. Now I'm just going to have to get Anya on again. You know, she distracted me with Waylon. So oh, I didn't get to get into the deep diving, hard hitting questions. Of course, that's uh, Anya Packer and Madison, uh, their new baby, Way, Waylon Packer. Hey, Woho fans, so glad you joined me on this episode of the Founding Four podcast. As I said in the intro, I'm breaking a little bit of news on the audio podcast. I will be calling about eight games of the 2020 NWHL season or the N double season. And it's kind of interesting because we'll be calling the games from a remote location. So more on that later in the podcast. But because I'll be calling the games, including the Isabel Cup finals on Twitch for the international community and, and international viewers, this will make, um, I guess, five uh, street appearances in the Isabel Cup final for me. Um, it's kind of wild. I uh, started as a journalist reporter and then was able to work on the broadcast. So I've been covering every Isabel Cup final that has actually been played. I was supposed to call that game with Sam Fryman last year. Um, and that's in big part because of the fan base. So as always, I want to thank you for listening to the Founding Four podcast, something that I started with the great Statsman <laughs> with Mike Murphy. I believe we started in season three or season two, season two, season three, right around there. And um, it's been a fun ride. So uh, again, just wanted to say thank you to all the longtime listeners. And if you're new, hey, we're going to have a good time. I'm excited to be on the call for the Isabel Cup finals. I'll be calling the semifinals and the final on Twitch. So stay tuned. Let's get back to my interview with Anne. But okay, Anne, let's get into, you and I have talked about this before, and I'm sure all of the people that follow your amazing work at the Ice Garden know a little bit, but for new fans, this is, we're really gearing this toward new fans. First, I'd like for you to go over how you got into women's hockey and some of the things that you do, um, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the NWHL. Um, so I would say I really got into women's hockey. I kind of followed the NWHL and followed women's hockey a little bit um, from its conception. 
uh, with the NWHL's conception in 2015 when I was like 13 years old. But I would say my biggest, um, like my first real foray into the women's hockey world was the 2018 Olympics in Pyeongchang. I remember I stayed up to watch, it was like 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. in Chicago. And I stayed up on a school night. I think it was a school night. I had like finals the next day or something. And I stayed up to watch. And I remember waking up and I was like, did I dream that? Did they really win their first gold medal in 20 years? And I guess from there, it kind of spiraled into, I got more active on women's hockey Twitter, following all the teams. And then in September of 2019, um, Eleni Domestahas and Michelle J asked me if I would join, or if I would submit an application to join the Ice Gardens team. And everything from there is history, I guess. I love it. Fantastic. You're such an amazing voice in Thank the you. women's hockey space. Of course, of course. And the Ice Garden, of course, I also was a part of the Ice Garden. Still love what the Ice Garden is doing. I know just today, uh, one of the many stories uh, that I saw as I was perusing through the WoHo news was Mike talking about stats. What's your engagement? What's your thoughts about the access to women's hockey stats as it exists right now? Well, I think stats are super important. Obviously, the eye test is very important when you're actually watching women's hockey and able to decipher good plays from bad plays. But I think knowing stats and knowing box scores and knowing who's scored in what games and who gets the assists is tremendously important, both for tracking like personal player records and also just tracking like from a team standpoint, like the offense um, and the goals for and the goals against of a certain team, I think that's hugely important as a measurement and a landmark of certain teams growth. And so that's why I think it's pretty important. And I think the work that Mike Murphy is doing with her hockey counts and the work that Bo Marchwick is doing with elite prospects to preserve women's hockey data is super important. Just so we have a record of all the amazing players that are playing right now, because I know there's not a lot of footage from the past. There's not a lot of stats from the past. So I think it's incredibly important that we have, that moving forward, we have these stats and we have this history. Yeah. I love that you mentioned Bo as well. Can't forget elite prospects. Um, and, and absolutely, I'm definitely more of an eye test person, but you made an absolutely wonderful case for why the stats matter. And, you know, in Mike's latest piece, he also talks about that the athletes themselves are, are really focused on the stats. I hear that we might get some stats news and that there's even more of an impetus mm -hmm. on stats going into the end double or the bubble season uh, as, as uh, we, we like to call it. But um, so we'll have to, we'll have to see. Anya teased that a little bit. So we'll see yeah, if we get an now. announcement. Yeah, we'll get, we'll see if we get an announcement soon. Um, but I want to get back to the NWHL. So we did the quick 101 version. Here we are. We are at, you know, the, uh, on the cusp of entering a new year, 2021, which I alluded to a little bit just now. The NWHL will be in a bubble, uh, so they will have a single site, essentially a single site season. It's very condensed. Um, but I want to get your thoughts again, because you're my resident expert. You have put together a, a fantastic intro guide 
for women's hockey. When you think about the 2021 season for the NWHL in particular, what are some of the the things that you are really excited about um, to follow in 2021? Um, I think there are a lot of interesting storylines to follow. Um, From a team perspective, I mean, there's Rebecca Russo coming back, there's Kelly Babstock joining the Riveters, but also from a broader perspective, I think the introduction of Whale GM, general manager Amy Shear, I think that's going to be huge just in terms of partnerships for the Whale and getting the Whale onto a bigger stage. And I think that before she left the Whale, um, Bray Ketchum Peel did an amazing job recruiting players to join that squad. And so I'm honestly, I would say what I'm most looking forward to this bubble season is the Whale, just because I, I think this could be their year because oh. like I mentioned before, they're the only team of the founding four not to have won an Isabel cup yet. So I, I think this could be their year. There we go. Talking about data and trends. Of course, we all know that uh, actually Anya put it this way, COVID claimed the 2020 cup. <laughs> so that does still mean that a founding four team uh, can win the Isabel cup. And of course that would be the Connecticut. Well, I have them, uh, prominently featured here on my uh, faux tree. That. Yeah, <laughs> actually, uh, uh, Laura Brennan made that for oh, uh, wow. for the team, and she offered ornaments to the broadcasters as well. So I'm very thankful for that. I have it for over a year now. Oh, um, yeah, and uh, so yeah, I'm excited. Of course, as someone who has been on the call for Connecticut Whale teams for the past two, three, almost three seasons, actually three seasons now. Um, that's a team that has definitely struggled. I love that you mentioned Bray Catch and Peel, of course, an OG Riveter when she played in the league, but made her way as, uh, as you mentioned, as general manager for the Connecticut Whale. But um, also Amy, who had worked with the New York Rangers, has a, a totally different um, skill set as opposed to Bray, who had been a player at Yale, and then, of course, with the Riveters in the NWHL. But that leads me to also wanting to ask you, Anne, about interim commissioner Ty Taminia. There is a new model for the NWHL, as opposed to all of the NWHL and essentially the front office owning the founding four teams, plus then the Minnesota Whitecaps. Once we got the news that the Toronto Six joined the fold, uh, Tide was a part of that expansion. Then we saw that the NWHL switched to a governance model. And so this I know I had to talk to Anya and a few other people to kind of understand the governance model, but Anne, how would you summarize the shift from what we saw in the first five seasons of the NWHL to what we will now see in season six with the addition of not only the Toronto six, but also Titaminia and the governance model? Well, I would say the new government, gov- oh my goodness, I can't speak, I'm sorry. <laughs> the governance model, um, it gives a lot more flexibility and room to teams. And I think it'll increase the level of competition for sure, just because there's a lot more accessibility to different resources for teams with the new governance model, at least the teams that are independently owned right now, like the Boston Pride and the Toronto Six. I think um, we're definitely going to see some differences in the competition level, just based on what resources the players have available to them. Um, But otherwise, I think it was a great move by the league. 
um, to shift to a governance model. I can't say that I completely understand all of the intricacies of the new model, but I would say it's a step in the right direction to ensuring that all of the athletes are treated equally and treated professionally. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that I understand and I really asked Ani, I was like, all right, explain this to me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm baby way because I need, I need help understanding. Um, I think the biggest thing, my takeaway was that with the governance model, now there are multiple eyes on the six teams as a whole, as opposed to at the time, just Danny Ryland. And of course we know Danny Ryland is the founder of the NWHL and former commissioner. She has now taken on the responsibility of the four teams. And so that would be uh, the Minnesota Whitecaps, the Connecticut Whale, the uh, Metropolitan now Riveters and the Buffalo Buttes. Those are the four teams that are not, as you mentioned, independently owned. Uh, Danny Ryland Kearney now um, has taken on the responsibility of finding ownership for those four teams. And so, whereas Danny was basically like the one person, um, I get the sense that the governance model and there is a governor, so to speak, for each of the six teams. I've been trying to find out who these governors are. I'm still working on that. I'm still working on that. I'm really interested because I I didn't realize that that meant each team had like a representative. Correct. Until you just mentioned it. But now that I'm now I'm like kind of like, ooh, like I really want to know who's who's yeah, each team governor. I'm- I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So I think, yeah, you should, you should, you should inquire as well. But yeah, that's the sense that I get that each team has a representative and it's now truly a board, right? Uh, So six individuals who represent their respective team, but then collectively represent the league. Um, And that creates um, a different checks and balances, if we're being honest, than when you have the founder who also serves as the commissioner. When I spoke to Ty Taminia, you know, she now is responsible, uh, uh, similar to if we were to just use a hockey model um, that people are most probably familiar with. If we use the NHL as a model to just kind of um, summarize what we're trying to say, if Gary Bettman were the owner of all, what is it now, 32 teams, right? Um, That's what the NWHL used to be. Gary Bettman owned all of those teams. So decisions could be made by Gary and, you know, his front office. But of course we know that that's not how the NWHL Uh, or excuse me, the NHL runs, the NHL has ownership and those owners have stock. And essentially Gary Bettman as the commissioner of the NHL is uh, responsible for um, executing what the owners or that board of owners, you know, what they want to see put forth. And then the other piece that Gary as essentially the commissioner is responsible for is also the NHL Players Association. Mm -hmm. And so now that's another thing that's extremely important is that now the Players Association becomes essentially um, a partner and becomes a voice in in a a more structured way than we've seen in the past um, to how the league moves forward. And I think that's really exciting. So Anne and I were just talking about the structure of the NWHL that has changed. And I want to let you know a little bit about the structure of the Founding Four podcast. We started as an audio podcast, which is 
right here with our home at now Transistor FM. We were with SoundCloud when originally with um, the Ice Garden, but have transitioned over to Transistor FM and also to video podcasting over at Sports Talk with Erica Lindsay Ayala. Of course, that's me, your host. The way that I fund the Transistor account, the way that I'm able to invest in everything that I need to put on now a video podcast, especially so the hard of hearing community can have access to captions, is through my Patreon page, Sports Talk with ELA. So if you are listening and you are a member of the Patreon posse, thank you so very much. Some of the news that I'll be dropping on this podcast, you already got. So if you want inside news about me and my coverage of sports, Sports Talk ELA is there. I encourage you to join Sports Talk with ELA on Patreon. My Patreon posse is a huge reason why I was able to take the assignment to travel to Florida. Yes, I will be calling games in Florida. Um, There are some things that I have to invest in upfront and that I have to pay my own way for. So again, the Patreon posse is a huge help. So hey, where the money reside, where the money reside, where the money reside. Thank you so much to the Patreon posse. Let's get back to this interview with Ann Tokarski, where we're also going to talk about where the money reside, where the money reside for the NWHL. We've already seen, of course, the 50-50 revenue split which means that any sponsor that comes in, uh, Twitch is a perfect example, whatever money Twitch offers to be able to exclusively broadcast the regular season of the NWHL, 50% of that goes to now Titaminia and the NWHL for them to use. And then the other 50% goes to the NWHL Players Association, which of course, Anya Packer, formerly Badalino, who was a member of the Connecticut Whale, uh, they can use to their discretion. Um, And so uh, the way that the NWHLPA, though, has chosen to use that revenue split is to offer a percentage of that split directly to the players. So it's not as though the PA itself is getting that money. There's actually not really much of an income for the PA. The PA has opted to divert those revenue splits directly to players. So when it comes to salary, and this is still a little bit of a question mark, but but Anne, again, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on diving into what we know about how the NWHL salary works and how this 50-50 revenue split um, impacts the salary of NWHL players? Well, I think the 50-50 revenue split is huge. It's tremendous. It's a tremendous step forward for the players who already have to work non-hockey jobs to keep themselves afloat. Um, obviously, the goal is to have these players play hockey as their primary job and not have to worry about a non-hockey job. And while that might not be super imminent in the future for most of the players currently in the league. I think the NWHLPA is taking pretty impressive strides towards making that a reality. And I think, you know, it's just, it's not something you can expect right away, but it's something that you can expect work towards right away. And it's something that you can expect people will be advocating for right away. And so you might not see the result right away, but you can see the work being put in to get to that point. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, we, we've seen a lot of different partnerships spark um, and we still want to see if some of those partnerships stick. I would say, especially the NBC partnership that we see as far as broadcasts. So Twitch still is a part of that. It's a a three-year deal. This uh, 2021, the 2021 season will be the second year of the three-year deal deal, excuse me. Um, But then we see also that the NWHL is going to have the two semifinal games and the Isabel Cup final game. So three total on NBC Sports Network, which, of course, uh, the slogan goes NHL on NBC. But now we will have NWHL on NBC. And your thoughts about that broadcast deal announcement? Well, I think that broadcast deal was pretty impressive for a league in its sixth year um, that was built pretty much from the ground up, I would say. Um, I know there are some people who aren't super happy with it and don't think that NBC deserves a lot of recognition for it, but, and I'm kind of in the same boat. Like, I don't think NBC deserves like so much credit for finally stepping in, but I think it's definitely impressive that the league was able to engineer this deal. And even if it is only for three games, I still think that's impressive and I'm definitely going to be watching. I'm so glad, I'm suddenly so glad that my family still has cable. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Right. Absolutely. And I hear you. Um, When it comes to being late in the game or I mean, we know how much amazing women's hockey there is that you can stream if you're lucky or pay membership to and watch. But it's very rare that we get um, women's hockey in particular on broadcast television at primetime, nonetheless. Um, But this is what I will offer um, because you know me, I'm always pushing for more. But what I will offer is that I see this as an extremely important first step because if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that for whatever reason, I certainly have uh, theories as to the reasons, but we'll leave that to the side for now, And <laughs> um, For whatever reason, more broadcast television partners have put on more women's sports on their network. So even the WNBA, who will celebrate their 25th season next year in 2021, they've seen more network television broadcasts than you know, certainly in the last several years. And with that uptick, the NWSL National Women's Soccer League, I should add, has also seen that. And actually the uptick for the NWSL was literally off the charts. I mean, they had to wrap that graphic back around because there was such an increase. But between the WNBA going into their 25th season, and if I'm not mistaken, By next season, the NWSL will be in their ninth season, which is unprecedented for women's soccer. We've seen that as the amount of uh, the number of games on national television in particular. So putting aside their uh, NWSL, excuse me, had a Twitch deal, putting aside uh, the league pass that... um, the WNBA has, when you're on ESPN, when you're on ABC, when you're on NBC, the number of viewership has skyrocketed. And so do you think that we'll see a similar trend for the NWHL as they now are on NBC? I'm really hopeful that we will, but I know 
you've talked about in the past hockey culture and how, you know, there are some people out there who are insistent upon dragging women's hockey down, but I think there are more people who just haven't been exposed to it. And those people are going to be flipping through their channels in the beginning of February and see, oh my gosh, women's hockey. This is professional women's hockey on TV. And I think that number of people who don't, who might not know about it is going to far outweigh the number of people that have something negative to say. And so I do think that the NWHL is going to see an increase in viewership and I think it could lead to some pretty big gains for the league moving forward. I'm excited to see and I guess we should preface that the NWHL has never been on national network television Mm -hmm. so whatever the numbers are if it's just you and I and that's already an increase of 100 (laughs) percent Yeah. (laughs) So, um, no, but I put that all in context that truly from a stats perspective, this will be a a benchmark and a baseline. And I think the challenge for the NWHL and, and truly all of women's hockey at the professional level, because again, we haven't talked much about the PWHPA, um, but the challenge then will be to see what these metrics are with the NBC's uh, sports deal and then use that as the benchmark. Three games, this is the viewership that we can get on national television in three games. And now how do we expound upon that? It's the same thing that I said about the PWHPA announcing that they got $1 million from Secret, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. $1 million goes really quickly in a, in a, a, a women's sport, a hockey league um, because they have a similar, I think they're about at about five regions, which is very close to six teams. If you think of it that way, 1 million for one sponsor, great, but that's now the benchmark and everything has to be 1 million plus from here on out. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Once again, WOHO fans, women's hockey fans, new and otherwise, I want to thank you for listening to the Founding Four podcast. As you can see in this part one, I've sprinkled in a little bit of personal news that relates to the NWHL and the NWHL on Twitch. So again, NWHL coverage will be on Twitch from the opening games on January 23rd through the playoffs. But the Isabel Cup semifinals and the final on February 4th and February 6th, respectively, will be aired in the United States on NBC Sports. But for the international audience, I will be calling the games on Twitch. But we will, I I believe, have the um, NBC camera angles. So I'll have to get used to calling off of a monitor. I'm definitely an eye test person. I even said that to Anne. So that'll be an adjustment. But I know with the encouragement of the women's hockey community in the Twitch chat, everything will be just fine. We'll have a great time. I've already started talking to coaches about line pairings. Now that I can't give you, but I'm pretty excited about some of the young talent that's coming into the league from what I have heard from coaches. And I will have that for you for opening day. It's the Metropolitan Riveters versus the Toronto Six. I will be on the call as the analyst and I already have some really great intel 
from some of the teams. I'll also be calling, I should say, the second game, which is the Boston Pride versus the Minnesota Whitecaps. That first game is at 1 p.m. Eastern time. The second game is slated for 4 p.m. So I'm starting to talk to the four teams, the players, the coaches, to get a feel for all of the preparation leading up to the end double in Lake Placid, New York. So you're going to want to tune in. It's exciting. There are a lot of challenges that we're all facing, and I don't want to ignore that. I I want to acknowledge those of us who continue to really struggle with how to maintain a sense of peace and comfort, given that we're really, as a society, pushing forward and to forge ahead, even though coronavirus is still here. But I will do my best to keep myself, my family, and everyone else that I come into contact safe and I hope you do the same. But for a little bit, let's all enjoy together the promise of women's hockey, of NWHL hockey. But yes, I am taking my travel and my experience very seriously. And again, for the Patreon posse, I'll share a little bit of that journey for you. So Anne and I talked about a lot more, and you can hear that in part two. Part one, this will be dropping on Saturday, and I will drop part two on Monday, which is Martin Luther King Day. And I want to also encourage everyone, not just because of the last year, but because of the last 400 years, for you to really take a hard look at how we as a society can turn what Dr. King called a dream of equality. And even the fact that he had to only dream and that he could only dream about equality is an indictment on all of us and the United States, Um, not just the United States, but this is where I live, this is where I'm from, and that's who he was talking to. It's an indictment on our history, and it's time for us to make manifest the dream that Dr. King had. So on Monday, I'll give you a little bit more of my thoughts on that, but I hope between now, Saturday, and Monday, January 18th, that you are also reflecting on how we can, again, make manifest that dream because we should never be dreaming of the day that we have equality. We should already be there. So, you know I had to get a little deep on you, right? Uh, I wasn't gonna just let you go away with the NWHL news, but Thank you so much for listening to the Founding Four podcast. I would appreciate if you share this episode, you tell everyone, your mama and them, to follow us on social media at Founding Four, the number four pod. And of course, tune in, whether it's audio version or the video component to the Founding Four podcast, because there are a lot of great storylines and I am very honored to share them. Erica Lindsay Ayala, signing out.